Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now, as I start, um, I want to ask you a question. Did you hear the one about the naughty, wealthy stockbroker going to the dentist? Did you hear that one? The naughty, wealthy stockbroker when he went to see the dentist. Yes or no? No. You didn't. Do you want to hear about it? Remember, he's a naughty, wealthy stockbroker. He was wealthy, but he was naughty. (laughs) So a naughty, wealthy stockbroker goes to a dentist. And he wants to get a quote on getting some teeth removed. The dentist, realising that he's a wealthy stockbroker, says, here's the quote, it's a a quote, we'll take care of you, Um, it'll cost approximately $1,500 per tooth, and with the $1,500 per tooth, I can assure you, we, we give you the highest of quality in our service. We bring in an anaesthetist from the hospital, we have a couple of nurses, we, when we remove your teeth, uh, there is no blood, there is no pain, it's a painless experience for $1,500 per tooth. The wealthy stockbroker considers that and being a wealthy man, he thinks, mm, I'm wealthy for a reason because I know how to get a good deal. So he goes to the dentist back and he says, listen, I need you to sharpen the pencil a little bit for me. Can you do better? Well, the wealthy stockbroker comes back and he says, look, I can do a little bit better for you. Um, I can do the anaesthetic work myself. There's no nurses. I'll put you in my chair. It'll take a little bit longer. There'll be a little bit of blood. There'll be a little bit of pain. It'll only cost you $500 per tooth. The wealthy stockbroker thinks, well, that's, that's a little bit better, but he, he was a wealthy stockbroker. And he wanted to save for the money. So he goes back to the dentist. He goes, listen, I'm actually, I, I know you can do better. I know you can do better than $500 a tooth. Please, come on. If you want my business, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to bring that price down. The dentist at this point looks at this naughty, wealthy stockbroker up and down. And he says, geez, this cheapskate. He says, all right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do your deal. I'll do the work myself, but I'm going to have to go to Bunnings, buy some pliers, bring it down. I'll remove the teeth by hand. There will be no nurses, no anesthetic work. There'll be a lot of pain, a lot of blood. I'll do it to you. I'll I'll do it for you for $100 a tooth. And I'm actually going to enjoy doing this work on you. So, The wealthy stockbroker, being a naughty wealthy stockbroker, looked at the dentist straight away and he says, you have a deal. Can you please book my wife in next Thursday? (laughs) I told you it was naughty. Isn't it interesting that finances tend to reveal a lot of what's in our hearts and how we handle our money um, says a lot about who we are. The Lord Jesus refers to wealth 
finances, material possessions, so often, over 2,000 times, in fact. You can see it in the Old and the New Testament, where the Lord shows us the conversation around wealth, finances, as a means to reveal what's in the heart. We talk about a faith offering and um, it certainly is about an offering in faith of our finances. But I would submit to you, as you've heard, that this is a heart matter. It's a heart matter. It's absolutely a heart matter. It's how we don't just treat money, but how we see it and how we treat God. I'm going to take us to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and if you can please turn with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul talking to a young pastor named Timothy in the last chapter of his first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 3 to verse 10. Paul writes this, If anyone teaches a different, not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6, this is an important verse. I have lots of notes next to this verse in my Bible. But godliness... With contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. And verse 8, you can say amen or ouch to what you're about to read. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, final verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Today my assignment is to share a message called, When is enough enough? When is enough enough? Can we pray? Father, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit through your Holy Word, through your Bible. We ask that you would um, speak from your heart to ours, that we would not be dull of hearing, that if there was uh, any pushback in our hearts, even around this idea of contentment, Would you deal with us in Jesus' name? And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Contentment. 
contentment, contentment. But excuse me, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing and lots of money in the bank and three cars and four houses, if we have all of those things, then we'll be content. Mm -mm. With food and clothing, then we'll be content. What is, it, what is it to be content? Why is it that I struggle at times to be content? Why is it in my life um, I have found um, a sense of discontent in my heart, a dissatisfaction in my heart? What have been the things that have provoked that? Contentment we might consider to be an internal state of bliss or fulfillment a sense of satisfaction that no matter what happens on the outside, inside, we've got enough. Contentment, where he says, for these things we will be content. That word is autarkia, which lies are not being bothered by external circumstances, not being bothered by what's happening around about us. We live in a day and an age where more than ever the enemy is trying to disciple us away from Christ and specifically rest in Christ. The enemy does whatever he can constantly to dangle these carrots in front of us to say, you need this, and if you don't have this, you won't be happy. Flick your, t your, your phone on, and all you'll see on, for example, social media is people projecting the best and hiding the rest. And we can't help but compare ourselves to the great lives of other people, the great meals they're eating, the great marriages that they're having, the wonderful relationship with the children that they're having, the incredible jobs that they're experiencing. And what do we tend to do by default because of our fallen nature so often? We compare ourselves, forgetting that comparison is the thief of joy. So we've got to make a decision on where our eyes are going to be fixed. Is it going to be on Jesus and his fullness? Or is it going to be on, oh, other people have it better. The Joneses. I'm not going to keep up with the Joneses. Second Corinthians 9, 8. Our God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that word autarkia, same one as sufficiency, in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. God is able to provide a fullness that comes from Him. So let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. Here's a simple question. Are you satisfied? Are you content? Are you fulfilled? In your life, I'm not just talking about your bank balance. I'm talking about in general. I'm talking about in your relationships. Are you content? Are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? 
Or is there a discontent? Is there a restlessness, an unhealthy longing for better circumstances? If you're not satisfied, why are you not satisfied? Why are you not content? Who tells you you need that better, faster, more expensive thing? That discontent that rises up is a disease. That's what it is, to speak quite clearly. It's a disease. It's a disease that spreads faster and is far more horrific than the pandemic. It's a real disease. Discontent, in its truest sense, is sin. It's a lack of fulfillment in who He is and that He is our protector, our provider and our lover. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Be careful not to catch the disease of discontent. Be careful not to catch the disease of discontent. If you find yourself having caught that horrible disease, do you know what the antidote is, don't you? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the great prescription. Look to Jesus and look to his fullness, his completion, his perfection. Perhaps you've got a flawed image of who he is. Maybe you've created a God in your own image, according to your own likeness. Well, how do you get a good picture? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And here's a good start. Pick this thing up and see what, see what God tells you about his son in this incredible book. This is what Benjamin Franklin says. He says, content makes Poor men rich, discontent makes rich men poor. Isn't that cool? Content makes poor men rich and discontent makes rich men poor. It's important for me as not just a a, a brother but as a pastor to point us back to this theme of contentment in the scripture because it's not just something that happens out in the world even in God's family we wrestle with this issue of discontent if 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 only I had more friends I would be happier if only um, I was married I would be more happier if if only I had another child or children I, I I I would I would feel more content, I would feel at peace. If only I had a better paying job, I would feel better. Or if only my next job would pay better. If, if only the location of my next house was here, it would be so much easier. If only I could send my children to a different school. If only I could study this discipline at university, I would feel better, more fulfilled, more complete. If only that problem was gone from me. If only that person was gone from me. If only that debt was gone from me. And we come up with these reasons, we try and rationalize why it is that we're not feeling complete or whole in ourselves, but at the end of the day, in any and every circumstance, we can learn the secret of contentment by seeing Jesus, embracing Jesus, enjoying Jesus. Let's check out what Paul says in, um, in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 10 to 13. 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, I've underlined that word, learned that in whatever, I've underlined that one as well, whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I love that passage. When I read that, that is both an, both an amen and an ouch for me. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by that. See, Paul is saying, I, I have been through it all. I have money. And I've had no money. We understand from his life, he's at times had clothes, no clothes. A roof over his head and sometimes no roof over his head. He's been beaten. He's been harassed. He's been persecuted. He's been imprisoned and enchained, enslaved. And he is saying, excuse me, he is saying that it doesn't matter what circumstance that I have been in. It doesn't matter what I've been exposed to. I have learned. The secret of contentment. Contentment doesn't then just happen when we think we've got everything sorted out. We can learn it at the top and we can learn it at the bottom. We've just got to learn it throughout every phase of the journey. I'm here to tell you, friends... You can, in the midst of a storm, just like Jesus was sleeping, you can sleep through that whole storm and not be bothered by it in life. That could be you. That could be us. As God's children, He says to us, let me tell you, you are hidden with Christ in God. And so where He is, you are also. Jesus right now is at rest and we are with and in God. Because of Jesus, which says to us that no matter what the season in that you're, whatever season of life you're in, you can learn to enjoy the moment that you're in. It doesn't matter how difficult or challenging, it doesn't matter how hard or how much elation you experience, you can still be complete, content and fulfilled. I tell this to my girls, my three girls. They are 11, 9 and 27. I say, girls, listen to me. There are going to be times in life and it's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard. And the, and the older we get, the more we realize that is true, isn't it? But there is one thing that remains. God is good and we can experience joy constantly in Jesus. So we continue to keep our eyes on Him. And the maturing process that the Holy Spirit takes us on The maturing process says to us that he is not just enough. He is more than enough. He's more than enough. So let's not give in to the disease that's out in the world. Just avoid that disease at all costs by looking to Jesus. This is what Adam Clark says in a commentary. Real contentment isn't too difficult for those whose real home is heaven. It requires but little of this world's goods to satisfy a man who feels himself to be a citizen of another country and knows that this is not his rest. 
Isn't that a good one? Contentment then is a state of rest that we find in Jesus. No matter what happens to us, no matter what happens around us, we are at peace in and with Him. It's not what you have, it's who you have. More importantly, it's who has you. So we find our contentment then in the promises of God and in His love. So where then do we find ourselves, perhaps if we take a moment just to think to ourselves, where might we find ourselves placing our hope? And I'm talking about an unhealthy hope, an unhealthy refuge, an unhealthy trust, an unhealthy love. Where have we placed an unhealthy love in our lives? In our jobs? An unhealthy love there and an unhealthy love or hope? in our bank balances or in our homes, our stuff, an unhealthy love in our spouse, an unhealthy love in our parents, an unhealthy love in our children. To love people is an incredible thing. I mean, it's a, but an unhealthy one where we put that person, place or thing before God, it's idolatrous. God calls for us to place our love entirely in Him. So, second point is this. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. No one can love you like He does. No no one can treat you like Him. No one is faithful to you like He is. No one. At some point or another, you will be let down by people. I know you're looking at me and you're seeing a halo above my head, but I'm going to let you down at some point if I haven't already. (laughs) If I haven't yet, just talk to me for five minutes and you'll be disappointed. Your children, your parents, they'll let you down. Your spouse, they'll let you down. But there's one who will never let you down. There is one faithful one. There is one perfect lover. There is one man, Christ Jesus, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth and with his income. This also is vanity. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Don't love money. When is enough? Enough. How much? What's your goal? What's going to make you happy? How much soup are you striving for? I'm all for these things. But faith in God comes first and foremost. We trust Him. Money is, a, money is a terrible master. Do you know that? God calls for us to use money, not God. But some of us use God because we want money. 
He calls for us to not let money be our master, but for him to be our master, but to let money be our servant. Money is a great servant, particularly when we have God as our master. And as a servant, it's got to go where God directs it to go through our hands. But if it's not our servant and money is our master, it'll tell us what what to do and where to go. So let's make a clear decision about our finances. And let's go beyond finances. What about our resources? What about our material possessions, the things that we own? Does that have your heart? Does that hold your heart? Is that directing you in life? Is it calling to you, saying, you need another, fresher, shinier, faster version of me? Did you hear the one about the fisherman and the industrialist at the beach? Do you want to hear about that one? (laughs) There was a man who went out one day, he caught the fish that he needed for that day. Finishing early, he knocked off early. Well, there was an industrialist walking past, plenty of fishermen out there, plenty of fish out. It was a beautiful day. But he saw this fisherman who had his feet up on the side of the beach. He said, hey, mate, what are you doing? You should get out there and catch some fish. The bloke goes, hey, mate, I've already caught my fish for the day. I've got all that I need to. I'm just relaxing. Why do I want to get out there and catch more fish? The industrialist says, hang on a second, listen, I know you think you're finished, but if you go and catch more fish, you can sell it, you can raise more money, you can buy more equipment, you can potentially buy more boats, put more fishermen on. You can have a fully-fledged business if you really put your mind to it, if you really work hard. The fisherman said, well, do all that work, well, I've already got my fish for the day, what do I do after that if I've got all that sorted out, and then what? The industrialist says, well, what you can do once you've got all that sorted out, you can eventually retire and relax. What, like what I'm doing right now. We've got to be careful that we prioritize the things in life that God calls for us to prioritize. He's not opposed to hard work. He's not opposed to ingenuity. He's not opposed to good business acumen and good work ethic. But he is for obedience and he is for contentment. And sometimes I feel that I myself get trapped. At times I'm content and then I look at the systems, the structures, the processes and the pressures of the world and think maybe I should be doing more so that I can have more. And then I expend all my energy, all my brain power, my willpower, working hard and doing all those things and realizing that before long I could lose my energy, I could lose my health, I could lose my relationships in the process just to get something that I may never actually attain anyway. Most importantly, I could lose my soul, my peace, my shalom in the process because I'm working so hard and I'm not content. So let's be careful where we draw our love from and that we don't place our love in expectations other people perhaps might even have on us. Final point. Probably the most important. 
First point was, be careful not to catch the disease of discontent. The second point, stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Third thing is this, embrace and experience your fullness found in His fullness. Embrace and experience your fullness found in His fullness. Thank you. There's a great book called Desiring God from a pastor called John Piper. And something that he he puts forward in that book is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. How is it that we can find that sense of satisfaction in Him? What's from His fullness? It's from His fullness. Let's check this out. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. Uh, Backdrop here. Paul, uh, under house arrest, is on his knees. He's praying, prays an incredible prayer. And in this prayer, he says that you pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He then then says in chapter 6 of the same letter, Paul says, He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, watch this, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, right? He's saying that we've got to grow up, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may, no lo- we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What's he saying? We, 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 we've, got, we've got to attain to this fullness of Christ so that we can grow up and mature and not give in to all these doctrines, these, these pathetic, wayward doctrines. How many crazy doctrines are there in the world today? I feel as though that, that we are exposed to more and more of them, particularly with the advent of technology and the internet. I want to submit to you... Friends, family, please make sure that you are careful with what you expose yourself to. I, I read lots of commentaries. I listen to a number of sermons. But I work with the Holy Spirit to test what it is I'm reading and hearing. If it doesn't fit within the framework of Scripture, it doesn't belong in my heart. Every Sunday when we come to church... When you go to life group on Tuesday fortnight, Wednesday fortnight, Monday, whenever that is, make sure you bring your Bibles and your brains with you. Don't check your brains out at the door when you come to church. You've got to make sure that what you are hearing lines up with this incredible book. And if we become increasingly biblically illiterate, we are not going to know the difference between what is God and what is not. We've got to be like the Bereans. Check it with the Bible. It doesn't matter how many followers you've got on Twitter. It doesn't matter how many friends you've got on Facebook. I don't give a rip how big your church is. If it doesn't line up with the Scripture, it doesn't belong in your heart. And there will come a time when we will have to stand before our Maker and we can't blame what we saw on YouTube. We can't blame even our spouse, our children, our parents. You can't, don't you come blaming me. The Lord is going to talk to you personally 
about how you've lived and what you've said and how you've treated people. It's between you and him. And for me, let me tell you, it's a little bit scarier for me as a teacher because the Bible tells me I'm going to be judged more critically with what I teach. And I care more about what he thinks than what you do as much as I love you. But every wind of doctrine, how do we overcome this? We've got to become mature. How do we become mature? We've got to look to Jesus and his fullness. Let's check this out. Colossians 1.19. For in him, who's the him? Christ Jesus. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Next chapter, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Verse 10. This is really important. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Right now, you have been brought to fullness. Right now, in this very moment, you don't feel it perhaps, you don't know it perhaps. I'm here to tell you, right now, you have, according to the Bible, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. We have all that we need according to to life and godliness that we need, everything. We have it all right now, which means I've got no excuse. When, when, when i got Jesus, i got all I need. And from his fullness, I get my fullness. So I want to embrace that and I want to experience that. As the band comes, please. This is what it might look like. I'm going to spill some water now. It's going to happen. This is Jesus. And the empty cup is you and me. When we come to him, we're empty, broken vessels. And what happens is him being full, he fills us, doesn't he? But he doesn't just fill us in part. We're filled to overflow. This is us right now. This is you right now. You, your cup overflows right now. Even when you struggle, even when you doubt, at times perhaps you find yourself greedy, you find yourself deceiving, at times envious, at times jealous, at times prideful. You right now are full because of Jesus. So embrace that reality. Experience that reality. Psalm 23 is such a great word picture from a shepherd named David. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, David writes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that not such a great picture of being content? I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Isn't that so cool? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life I dwell in the house of the Lord forever is that not such a great picture such a great story of us following the shepherd him taking care of us he's our protector he is our provider he is our lover and once we embrace that as we realize that we know, we don't, I, I don't need anything else I don't I don't need I I, <laughs> I lack nothing <laughs> my cup overflows that picture David says it doesn't matter what happens it doesn't matter what life throws my way Lord Jesus my shepherd you are all I need so how is it then that we embrace this God how how do we know that enough is enough for us well enough is enough when we embrace that he is more than enough as we finish, we're just going to close in prayer. And I want us, if we can, to stand up together before I hand over Pastor Scott. I want to have a time for just, just a couple of minutes waiting on the Holy Spirit. And I want to, if we can, let's posture our hearts onto this amazing shepherd, this protector, this provider, this lover, this leader. And I wonder if we God and say, Lord, where are there parts of my heart where perhaps you're not enough? Where are you not enough? Where is there discontent? Where have I caught that disease of discontent? Lord, help me look to you again afresh. Is it with a person? Is it with a place? Is it with a thing? Let's just have some time with our Father right now. Father, I ask your Holy Spirit... The, 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 the beautiful spirit who searches all things. And I ask, as we come before you, would you speak to us, reveal to us what we've got to give back to you? Lord, lead us into repentance right now where there is sin in our soul. Lord, help us to give it over to you. Receive forgiveness in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.